cold open question of the day, my guy, Brendan Clean. We have a USA basketball pool for the men's team at the 2024 Olympics. There are a ton of players in it. There are 41 players, in fact, a ton of famous names, a ton of potential first-time Olympians. Joel Embiid, obviously, in there now that he has declared to play for Team USA. But I ask you this, you look at the pool, you think about what that roster could look like. Who is someone you would really, really like to see at the Olympics in one way or the other? Okay, so there are a lot of easy answers here, right? Embiid, who you already mentioned. The return of LeBron James, who I don't think any of us expected would ever be on an Olympic court again. Still not fully sure why he is going to be on one. Why not is the answer. Why not is the answer, sure. Um, And there's some first-timers. We're not positive if they'll make it or not. It's going to be a crowded field here, obviously, 41 names already. But my answer is Kawhi Leonard. Oh, okay. Because I was... I don't think that was out there. I was not expecting to see him on this list. And I don't believe he's ever... I'm on his Real GM page, which tends to have, like, the full breadth. He has been... He was on the select team in 2012 when he first came into the NBA. He was on the kind of training camp, you know, practice rosters in 15 and 17. So I guess that would have been heading into the 16 Olympics and the 18 World Cup. But he's never even done a junior FIBA event. He's just never participated. So I would love to see Kawhi go to France and make this roster, make each and every game even less winnable for every other country, I think would would be what that would do. I didn't have you questioning Kawhi Leonard's patriotism um, on this show and on my bingo card, Brendan. But uh, you know, here we are. Unquestionable. No, it's yeah. uh, it's a it's a it's a questioning of the country's commitment to him more than anything. It seems like okay, that's fair. I mean, we need an infrastructure week, but for Kawhi Leonard at the Olympics, so I'm, I'm all for that. I have two answers. One is LeBron because it's going to be sick to see old man LeBron at the Olympics, provided he's there, and he can just pop over to Germany and get some treatment if he needs to. And then I don't think he's going to make the roster, but international Chet seems like a very fun experience. If Embiid had picked France, we would have been in for it with some center craziness here. So I agree, Chet will probably not be there this time. Although I could see them maybe rostering somebody for the future, maybe keeping three centers, Bam, Embiid, and somebody else. Maybe that's just Paolo. I I don't know, but they need... uh, I would go younger, personally. I know it feels like a snub of AD there, but he's been on the team before. I just feel like, okay, great, Embiid's here, but he's already 30. This is not the long-term solution. Can we please develop some American centers here uh, and maybe bring somebody like that? But, hey, maybe it's uh, Walker Kessler again to to play his, like, six minutes over the course of the tournament like he just did in the World Cup. It's Jaron Jackson Jr. revenge tour? I prefer not, personally. I, was a, it, I think it, we've it seen that. Joke. It was I don't joke. think he's on this You're, list. Oh, yes, he is. He is. Yeah, come on. Brendan, he's on. The, I wasn't making that joke unless he's staring. I'm staring at his name. Um, the thing about this pool, before we get to the main show, is that I do think I agree with you on the develop young guys standpoint. You know, Scotty Barnes is in there. There's no Kate Cunningham. There's no Evan Mobley. This does. This roster does skew very much in their prime or perhaps a little bit even past their prime 
prime in certain instances, which like Chris Paul is on mm-hmm. this list. <laughs> yeah. Chris Paul should be getting an assistant coach job. That's that's my third answer. There you go. Coming up on today's show, a monumental 24 hours in the NBA. We got big scoring nights in wins and losses. A coach got fired. The Heat made a trade and gave up a first-round pick. That's all coming up today on the Just Basketball Show. Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show for January 24th. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. If you haven't already, please follow and rate five stars only on your podcast app platform of choice. Hit subscribe on the Just Basketball Fan YouTube channel. And want to tell you about our friends at Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a player prop DFS platform where you can pick more or less on your favorite players across multiple sports, including the NBA and the NFL. Sign up today with our code Just Basketball and Thrive will match your first deposit up to $250. Brendan, I'm going to pull the curtain back for a second. Sometimes you and I were texting back and forth, figuring out shows. This was one of those shows where we're like, okay, we kind of need to find something to structure the show. We have some old favorites, but we're going to need something to get us through a, a little break. And then you know what happened? The NBA said, we got you. The NBA provides, as it tends to do. We're going to get to Adrian Griffin being let go by the Milwaukee Bucks and the Bucks perhaps going to get Doc Rivers. We're going to cover the Terry Rozier to Miami Heat trade where they gave away a 2027 first-round pick, a trade that made our guy Arm Layton from the Just Baseball show text us. I found out via that text, if I'm being honest. Just pure elation at this trade and Kyle Lowry being off the Miami Heat. But we're going to start. And I, I really want... There's a, there's a third performance that you saw in person I want to sneak in here as well at the very end of this conversation. Kevin Durant, I love you. But Carl Anthony Towns and Joel Embiid just utterly monster performances. And I think with all due respect to Kat, who is awesome, I want to start with Joel because Joel actually won his basketball Well, here's the deal, Chris. Yeah, exactly. One of them won their game. So I think yeah. uh, that what, Embiid got the W. That That's why he gets to go first. And, and, I don't think well, there's much it, argument there. And it's also not like he just the, like the Wolves lost in a tight game against the Clippers. They lost to the gosh darn Charlotte Hornets, mm-hmm. who are not good. No. So let's start with Embiid. He was a monster, another monster. He, I just, it's it's funny with this one, right? Because I have a hard time even having that much surprise about this game, frankly. Like. Maybe it's because we saw a couple different 70-point performances, 71-point performances to be exact with Mitchell and Lillard last NBA season and because of what Embiid's already been doing this season, and we can, I think we should get into that. But the dude just does this. It's not 70 every night, but it's, it's 30 for however many games in a row now, nearing, I believe, like 20, 30 games. I don't even know what the record is or what the streak is for him. He's up to 36.1 points per game. And 
when you kind of clear the roster out of other ball dominant guys right as a player is peaking, we tend to get seasons like this. We tend to get games like this. And so nine offensive rebounds helps a lot. Obviously, you always see the heavy free throw attempts in games like this, especially if the player doing it is not like an elite three point shooter or high volume pull up three point shooter, especially. But it just feels like sort of the it feels like the peak of an all-time season much more than like a blip like some of these games tend to feel right Devin Booker scores 70 points when he's like a baby and it's like the hell happened with this one we're not going to have a what the hell happened it's just like no shit this dude's having an all-time season and here here's a great example of it on a random Monday in January it's also just such a vintage performance this is a vintage style monster night this was a vintage style monster night to get my ten to get my tenses correctly correct this this was a night where Embiid took two threes this wasn't like he did the Mitchell Lillard thing where he took a ton of threes and and mathed his way there to some degree Embiid was 24 of 41 from the field and 21 of 23 from the free throw line he just ate the up in the paint over and over and over again on a night where Victor Wembanyama had 33 and 7 and two blocks against the reigning MVP of the NBA, it doesn't matter because Joel Embiid had put 70 on his head. Because Joel Embiid mm-hmm. did that thing on a night where, you know, Maxi, like everyone just kind of cleared out of the way for him as well. And he ends up taking 41 shots. Maxi took the next most shots on the team at 15. No one else on the Sixers took more than six free throws. Daniel House somehow got six free throws. Not really even sure how that even happens. Good, good for you, mm-hmm. San Antonio, I guess, that you fouled him enough times where he takes six free throws. But Embiid just did whatever he wanted and rolled. And, like, honestly, like, there's a world, Brennan, where he does he gets to run this back, and because he missed 17 shots, maybe he gets 76. Maybe he gets 80. Like, this is, like, the kind of thing where you could just see it being even higher based on what he did, how he played, and how good he was. You could absolutely see Embiid having a night this version again, if he gets to redo this or has this moment again where he can even supersede this just based on how dominant he can be. Well, that's the thing, right? You said he didn't math his way there in the same way that maybe some of these guys did. You could throw Clay's, that huge quarter he had Mm -hmm. once upon a time and everything into there, but... Or the the Kevin Love quarter where he just, like, let it... It was was three-pointers. That's what I mean more than the free throws, I guess. Exactly, but he did not only free throw his way there, but he also by way of doing that, he stopped the clock and that goes a long way in these games, you know, and that's what, that's actually really, if you go back to Booker's, what he was able to do and why people see it as a little bit fraudulent uh, when it's brought up in these conversations is because they were reverse hacking. They were hacking to get free throws um, to stop the clock and at least to get some more time for Booker to, to chuck it um, back in, in Boston that night when Booker got there. But I want to correct one thing here, too, before we move on to Cat uh, or whatever. No, uh, nothing to, ne- to negate Embiid's performance. It's more to say he didn't do this to Victor Wimbanyama. According to NBA.com, yeah. those two players matched up. Uh, Vic was on Embiid for 26 possessions last night. Now, Embiid scored uh, 24 points in those 
in those moments. So like, it's not as if Vic clamped the dude, but the idea that like Embiid scored 70 on Victor, I know that's, you know, it's, it's what we do in NBA worlds is it always has to kind of go that way. But I just, you know, for the record, I'm a, I'm a Vic truther here in, in terms of his height, as well as the, the realities of his defensive uh, performances. But I guess the last thing I would say about Embiid, 36.1 points per game on the season. Only James Harden has done that this century. Kobe had 35.4 points per game in 05-06. Michael Jordan had 37.1 points per game in 87-88 in year three for him. And then in year two for Kareem in the 71-72 season, he had 34.6 points per game. Basically, since Wilt, those are kind of the three high watermark seasons. And Embiid is smack in the middle of all of it. I guess four if you include the Harden season. And Embiid is, is right there. I, I don't know if he'll increase above 36. You know, I don't know how many more 70 balls he has in him to to, to pump it up. But the dude is, it, it, it's not going to sink much lower than that. Because he's a, he's a walking 30 points per game. And the impressive thing to me about him this season is that he's doing all this and and breaking our brains in terms of the, the offensive output. But he's also still having late game defensive flashes. The playmaking is better than ever. He in this game had five assists and just one turnover. And he's giving space for Maxi to also go off, right? Like we can segue to I think the cat side of this because Edwards looked like he wasn't even playing the same basketball game as Carl Anthony Towns. The dude was AWOL during this game because the whole team just kind of fell all over itself trying to get Cat his his big point total. Whereas Maxi just kind of had a knife for himself like he always does. 7 and 15 from the field, 18 and 8 while Embiid is doing this. So I think that's to me again why it kind of speaks to like this is just what Embiid's been doing. It was just like the, you know, 3x, 4x version of it. The last thing I'll just say about Embiid is when I looked at his catch all, the analytic numbers on him for the year, dunks and threes is EPM. He is a whopping miles ahead of everybody else right now in that one stat. He's at plus ten point eight, expect plus minus. Shea is second at nine point three. Giannis is third at plus seven point two, and Jokic is at seven point two. That is how it, that one number is just telling is signaling Embiid is this far ahead of the field. I don't really know if I'm in exactly in line with that measurement of how much better he is than these guys, but he's certainly been incredible and. This this will be it would take something pretty darn special, Brennan, for someone to surpass a better performance, a bigger moment than I think what he just did. Carl Anthony Towns. Love that he went to Ant. And there's another guy that I think comes up in this when I watched that game and was getting visibly frustrated by the Minnesota Timberwolves in real time. That te- that game, as good as Cat was, it tells you how reliant they are on Mike Conley. It tells you how much they just need Mike Conley to make sure things operate on time internally that they get into sets that everything runs Mike Conley was out for this game and if he's not on the floor I don't trust that offense to be functional it's not even functional at the standard you would hope right now anyway because they're like 20th in offensive rating last time I looked you don't have Mike but like a 36 year old Mike Conley should like if, if he's on the floor of that game they win that game in my opinion because he would just make things work. But your team, if you're as good as your numbers suggest or have aspirations that you do, you should not be as reliant as you are in a 36-year-old Mike Conley and absolutely bungle the performance Carl Anthony Towns gave you. 
It's that, and it's also that they have nothing behind him, right? So when he doesn't play, you know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, I think, is one of the best perimeter defenders in the league, best guard defenders in the league. He had awesome defensive games last week against both Harden and his his cousin Shea, but not not a playmaker. And so he's playing 30 minutes. Kyle Anderson, who's been pretty turnover prone this season but had a a nice night in the playmaking department in that game but then you know they're going offense defense taking the dude who scored 62 damn points off the court late in this game because they need the win so bad and you have Kyle Anderson out there as the defensive half of the offense defense subs and they're taking him off when they want offense obviously shows you all you need to know about him so this was a this was a, an indicative game about the Wolves just as much as it was a cool night for Towns. I do hate it for him that that the game had to end that way um, with the fact that the call was very clearly wrong. A young mm-hmm. dude, Leaky Black, who's played like nine seasons at UNC, is uh, taking that night from him. But, I mean, look, the, the coach, the... The thing we're all talking about the next day after Towns puts up 62. One, bad timing. Did it the same night as Embiid went for 70. That sucks. But it's the Chris Finch soundbite afterward of how unseriously they were playing. The Hornets had 58 points in the paint in this game. The Hornets are not a good offensive team. They don't even have players who really do that. Their best offensive guys are like Hayward. I mean, he didn't play, obviously. Rozier, Ball. Mark Williams is not even in the game. He's, he's hurt right now. So... How did that team score 58 points in the paint? It doesn't make much sense at all. And the answer is because the the Wolves didn't show up. Um, On the topic of Towns, I think the big takeaway from his stat line is 10 of 15 from deep. Yeah. Also seven turnovers, PS, but you know. What are you going to do? Is what it is. Uh, It brought up a lot of discussion once again about the best shooting big man ever comments that he made. The best shooting big man ever is Dirk Nowitzki. Yes. I'm going to need Towns. Like, if you look at the stats, what Towns is doing this year would put him in contention for this. He's shooting 50% from mid-range and 40-plus percent from three. The problem is the dude's already been in the league for close to a decade, and he would have had to been doing what he's doing this season every year in order to be in contention for that if you go back and look at what Dirk was doing. So, sorry, Kat, um, you know. 62 notwithstanding, 10 of 15 notwithstanding. You're not there yet, brother. What is, uh, I'm saying this half facetiously, but is this now like uh, the first real dent that the in the Rudy Gobert's defensive player of the year candidacy that the Hornets scored that many points in the paint against him? Sure. Uh, but he, he switched out onto Milt Lamello late in that game and, and made a nice he did a, defensive he did a, play. I honestly, Brendan, I was, I was, I was very captivated by that game in a way that I can't exactly explain why. I don't exactly know like what got into me and being annoyed for, on the Wolves' behalf, but I really just yeah. wanted them to not do what they did, and mm-hmm. I got very excited by Rudy Gobert switching on a go switching on to Lamelo and doing what he did in that spot. And I was like, "Good for you, Rudy. You're you're hanging in there. You're doing great in this spot." And then they proceeded to lose the game. Good, good. Uh, we'll get to him later, but good, uh, good swan song for Terry Rozier in a in a Charlotte uniform, I guess, to, to win that game. It's a good final final game for him in a in a Charlotte uniform, I guess. Eleven points on twelve shot attempts, so not him personally, but you know, yes, no, the W it's, it's sending the uh, sending him out in style. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just the vibe. 
tough for the Wolves, who are in a weird spot, and I'm a, I become more skeptical of them by the day. I my Kyle Anderson and whatever else they can muster for like a functional point guard seems like one of the more obvious trades that any team could make at the deadline to me. Or anybody who can just create offense. Maybe you just have to settle for somebody who can create offense for themselves. Like we talked, I, I brought up that Alec Burks deal. And he's been on a fucking heater for the Pistons lately. I don't. You open like a Detroit box score, and it's like you you like are, your eyes get burned by how hot the dude was. Thirty points on a regular basis and ten plus three point attempts out of nowhere. It might just have to be a gunner like that just to get something. Because yes, Kyle Anderson can like dribble and and facilitate, but he is not. It's uh, not really adding to to what you are as a team. He's sort of keeping things steady. So yeah, they they need something there for sure. Last performance, not nearly as many points. But, Brennan, uh, you saw this in person, and I just got to say, Kevin Durant, what a, what a fucking monster that guy is. What a absolute destroyer of worlds. Oppenheimer is actually about Kevin Durant ending the Chicago Bulls in this basketball game, Brennan. Clean the game winner, hitting all these daggers from everywhere, Literally just waiting, just just needs Devin Booker or Bradley Beal to just hit a couple shots to to make sure he doesn't have to do it, and then it's like you guys are not all right. Bet I'm gonna come back in this game, and I'm gonna pretty. It felt much him and like Drew Eubanks doing timely things really the reason that the Bulls end up blowing the that game to the Suns, and that Kevin Durant game winner was clean and just kind of perfect Kevin Durant basketball. Yeah, it was an awesome one. He had 30 points in the second half and, you know, post game as, as, uh, you know, the great ones always are, he was focused on what he didn't, you know, what he didn't get. And he was, he was mad that he missed, he left a few on the table, a few open threes early in the game. Imagine if he was nine of 15 from deep, you're getting, you're getting close to a night that might've, uh, you know, stood up the Embiid or at least Towns games that we got. But yeah, this guy's been doing this forever. It's not exactly, you know, record breaking or anything, but he is, uh, he's, he's a legend. I think the, the, the last shot was like you said, though, such a perfect encapsulation of what makes him special. And I think what you have to be optimistic about from a sun standpoint, they get the ball into to Nurkic and they just react to what Chicago's doing. Durant cuts the opposite direction, doesn't take the dribble handoff, but instead goes toward the basket. Nurkic drops this little like, almost like when a ping pong ball starts to sputter the wrong direction. That felt like what the pass was. It gets to Durant and he double clutches from the free throw line because he, he sees Alex Caruso flying out of uh, from midair to try to block it. And he, I mean, he was talking about watching, you know, Kobe and, and Jordan highlights of how they double clutch it like that. But it's different when you have six inches on those guys and you're like 10 feet into the air when you're doing it. It, it feels a little like the degree of difficulty is a little different. But yeah, he uh, he he delivers as he always has. So we'll see what the Suns six straight six straight for the Suns. We'll talk about them in our championship tiers next week if they if they can keep this going. Rivalry week, Chris. They're playing the Mavs on Wednesday. ABC, you tuning in? You have it on your rivalry week schedule on your refrigerator. Magnet it up. Yeah, uh, I me a rivalry week such a real thing that we obviously all care about deeply. You know. Yeah. 
last week when all the amazing games we've seen in the past like 10 days in the NBA have been happening. The fact that it wasn't against teams that the NBA decided were rivals, I hated all those other games. But now the real deal starts. We get to watch the rivals play. So can you hear the sarcasm in my voice? Yeah, it is. It is dripping. It is just dripping with sarcasm. All right, moving on from those amazing performances. Cat, really good even though you lost. Adrian Griffin out as the Milwaukee Bucks head coach, replaced in the interim by Joe Prunty, who's back coaching the Bucks. It feels like we're just going to keep doing this over and over again for a long time. We need the Bucks, we need the Bulls to do that with Jim Boylan, if I'm being honest. He makes 43 games, and the biggest name we have seen reported as someone they are going to full court press is Doc Rivers, the former Clippers, the former Celtics, the former 76ers head coach, turned who's now an analyst um, at ESPN on their main broadcast on ABC. Brendan, this is, I got to tell you, I'm not exactly shocked that Griffin is gone. This feels like it was mounting. This feels like it was a team that has been disappointed in a lot of ways. We haven't heard anyone talk yet. Uh, according to reports I've read, Horst, the John Horst, the GM, will talk Wednesday before the Bucks host the Cavs. Prunty, I'm sure, will talk then as well. We'll see what Giannis and Dame and all these guys have to say. In flipping through other coverage, Mark Stein had a, led his newsletter after this, saying that someone in the league told him a couple weeks ago that if Terry Stotts was still there and hadn't had the disagreement with Adrian Griffin, he would be coaching the team already. So this, I guess, isn't a surprise, but what a what a, what a a disaster for a team that is 30-3 and, and has one of the best players in the world to have to fire the coach they fired Bud for not even 50 games into a, into a season. Yeah, this one's complicated, right? There's a lot of layers. I think, firstly, kind of a dub for Terry Stotts. I think he was... Uh, well, I, sorry, a dub for Adrian Griffin regarding Terry Stotts. If there was some sort of uh, tension there or, uh, you know, Adrian Griffin correctly maybe reading the writing that had been written onto the wall by Bucks management, I think uh, he was right. He was right that that guy was kind of there to replace him. So salute to salute to Griffin on that one, not salute to him for losing his job and not salute to him for not coaching this team very well, right? I think there's a few things here, um, and you can feel free to interject if one of them jumps out to you. Chris Mannix had a similar report to Chris to Mark Stein, Chris, of uh, just had heard rumbles type rumblings type of thing. But snake, bo- Boogie Cousins is totally right. There's snakes in the grass all the time, you know. <laughs> yes, sure. Did you like that? And Did you like that poll? Did you like that the Boogie Cousins snakes in the grass poll? It's been a while since I thought of that. Yeah, George Carl, shout out. Maybe George Carl uh, come coach the Bucks. I think, yeah, and and like the the thing that you finally are seeing in some of these insider type people is that that Griffin finally had even lost Giannis, which I think was probably I guess the place chronologically you would have to start. But I just want to start by saying. The reason it doesn't surprise anybody is because the mistakes we all notice in the first like two weeks of the season from the Bucks really have not gotten better. They have a worse point differential than the Cavs, Knicks, and Pelicans, despite being tied for second in the East. They are still middling in transition defense overall. They've improved 
statistically, but the most damning stat I think you would point to if you're following Milwaukee's transition defensive problems, which have been there all season, is that teams still run on them more than any other team. So while they might be getting stops and that can kind of fluctuate game to game based on opponent or week to week, the fact that teams are still challenging them there as if they aren't worried about it, I think tells you all you need to know. Malik Beasley has started every game he has appeared in. While if you look at the box score of Monday night's game in which the Bucks barely beat Detroit in Detroit, Pat Connaughton, nine minutes, nine minutes. Malik Beasley, 35 minutes. Portis, Connaughton, and Crowder have all struggled all season. That is basically the only depth you have. You can't, and I know Crowder got hurt, but you know he's been back for four games, hasn't made a huge impact. You can't afford to have those three vets be misused or, or not bought in or whatever it is, and that's been the case all year. Meanwhile, Malik Beasley's kind of free to do whatever he wants, even though he's not really helping defensively, at least. And then uh, I would even say, you know, looking further down the depth chart than that, Chris, Marjan Bochamp. I, I know that he is an inconsistent young player. Those guys always struggle to get minutes on championship contenders. But once again, it's kind of all they have. He has DNPs in four of his past five games. He's just out of the rotation. They're playing nine guys, really only eight. It just, it, it's... At a certain point, you have to pull the plug on something if it's if it's so clearly not working. And I honestly would would give a lot of kudos to the Bucks front office for just bailing on something rather than trying to play it out. Because as that insane Dejounte Murray rumor from last season last week showed us, this team's desperate. They're they're feeling pressure, and so if he wasn't going to be the guy to get them over the hump, then you should move on. They're very much in a zone that few teams end up in, Brendan, which is you you make big moves. You And this, this is across like all sports. They end up in the zone that very few teams end up in where the pressure is so high that I think this ends up being justified to some degree. Some of the reporting about Doc's involvement is – we'll get to that, I guess, when we when we talk about Doc. But that, that part of it I find quite fascinating about what – I want to learn more about that before I kind of have any firm, I think, opinions about it. But there, there's something interesting going on there. But they get to the zone that it's like the biggest soccer clubs in Europe get here. The Yankees historically have been here. I think the Lakers job kind of feels like this right now as well, where it's like you don't really get a runway. You kind of just have to produce at the highest level or you're at the risk of being fired. And I get that. You can't change... Yeah, you're not. You're not. You just made. You made. You made your big swing. You traded for Damian Lillard. You don't have the assets in the in the way that the NBA works. You go buy other players you might want, or trade for other guys you might want. You're. This is your roster. This is what you have. It's about maximizing what that is. And if you lose Giannis, you kind of don't have anything else. And you know, Dame hasn't. I don't think spoken about this a ton. But I'm sure he feels a type of way about the Terry Stotts thing, considering Stotts was brought in in the first place to be someone that could help them maximize Dame because he coached him in Portland for so long and they had a really productive partnership with with the Trailblazers. So like, I think this is fully justified. This team is underwhelming. Their record, I think, inflates them a little bit. I mean, we, we have not had them in our inner ring circle of contenders. 
right? That we, we just haven't. I don't think anyone really does at this point. The defense has been not good despite the... I mean, Dame obviously is very different than Drew Holiday, but the other personnel hasn't changed much. The defense feels qualitatively worse. This is the one thing you can do to try to reset the season and, and win. Maybe it's unfair to Adrian Griffin to some degree because you put him in the situation in the first place, but that's the nature of the NBA. Things are going to be unfair sometimes. Things Life, life is going to be unfair sometimes. I get... 100% why they've gone down this route. I absolutely understand why we ended up here. Yeah, so the thing I want to circle back to is you mentioned that this is the guy they fired Bud for. Not really, right? Because I'm not sure they knew who they were going to hire. I think they fired Bud because of Jimmy Butler. Yeah, right. That's I mean, fair. And I, I think that kind of is an, an original sin of this whole thing, which is that they, and it's, you shouldn't have a candidate already underlined when you go into a search. I think that would be dumb too, but they allowed, I think, Giannis's preferences to win out here. And I think you and I need to kind of take an L because we were in very vocal supporters of going that direction, hiring a former player, hiring somebody who the current players on your roster are in support of and that seems to have really doomed this well we we don't know the specifics maybe more will come out but the fact that Giannis wanted him seems to have been probably reason number one that he got hired and and that that was a mistake the other guys that they looked at Kenny Atkinson who also has had his name come out in the aftermath of now Griffin being fired as somebody that they'll try to talk to. I'm not sure why the Warriors would give him up midseason themselves. They also looked at Charles Lee, who they let leave, if you remember, and now he's in Boston mm-hmm. supporting Joe Missoula. Feels like that would have been, you know, a, a, another very solid option. Obviously, you know, hindsight's 2020. And then James Borrego, who I don't think ever should have gotten fired from the Hornets, but has kind of wandered around and can't remember where he ended up, but he is back on an assistant staff this season. You know, I don't think you can ever say, well, they should have just hired this guy and everything would have been fine. But I do think that it was a mistake to probably be so rash with Bud. And it was a mistake to listen so much to Giannis, I would say. Uh, Again, all in hindsight, but maybe the only thing to look at now is whether Doc is the solution to improving this thing because he or whoever takes this job is going to have a hell of a task on their hands to turn this all around in 40 games and get them ready to be a real title contender by April. So do you like the Doc hire? Do you like the idea of bringing in Doc Rivers to be the guy to try to turn around your season? With all Well, you go because I just blabbered for five minutes about the whole history from last May on. You tell me if you like the doc fit. I'm very torn on it, and here's why. Very torn is probably strong. Just torn. On one hand, I think this is the practical decision. This is the practical hire to get someone who isn't going to get overwhelmed who, if you're bringing in someone from outside, and I think you kind of have to, 
you don't have like there's not a Ty Lue a la like the, the the closest firing I can think of that compares to this is David Black getting fired by the Cavs. Mm-hmm. And they had Ty Lue in waiting for a reason because they wanted insurance. The Bucks didn't don't have that safety and that probably was Terry Stotts. <laughs> He's not there. What's funny though about that comparison is that Stotts is more similar to Blatt and Griffin's more similar to Lou. So they tried to get yeah. their Ty Lue first and they mm-hmm. screwed that up too. So I've seen that comparison obviously from a timing and a pressure standpoint yeah. I get the similarities but the they were trying to get though. their their young ex-player up and coming coach guy and they actually just kind of botched that. I guess it shows how hard it is to find a Ty Lue, right? Yeah, and it's the energy is obviously a little bit different, but I think the the idea the the kind of over coach gets overwhelmed, doesn't really know what he's doing, kind of thing ends up being there. The so I get the practicality part of this. The thing I don't like about it is I just we kind of just know what Doc Rivers is as a coach now. We kind of understand all of his words. We understand his limitations. I don't think you're going to get someone like you're going to get someone who's going to come in and is going to hit probably hit some singles and do a really competent job and ma- and do some version of maximizing what this team is in a very safe way and I get the appeal of that. Something a little more audacious which I get carries more risk. I think there's more upside to what this team is. Like I don't know if Doc is coming in and exactly being the perfect coach from a management like person personality wise i think that part's going to be perfect with him i think that's kind of the right angle of this to just say you're probably going to just get along fine with dame and middleton and Giannis, and specifically Giannis and dame more than anybody else it's it's the it's the actual x's and o's and how he's going to coach at the highest level of the playoffs where they want to be against joe missoula um, against Nick Nurse, against whomever else that will be seen from him the last several years that that doc isn't not really in that upper echelon of coaches anymore. We just kind of have seen that bear out, and that to me mm. is the concern. But considering the situation, I get it. And if you're just trying to balm the situation and slap a, a very competent Band-Aid over, over this wound, that makes sense. Which is the bed you've made for yourself, right? Yes. I, I just You can't be audacious on January 23rd. You tried audacious in June, right? And now you're here. Like, are they going to go out and get like, you know, woo Charles Lee back into the building and, and start from scratch? It's just, it it does suck, right? Like it is sort of awful timing all around, but they did it to themselves. They hired the wrong coach. And now it's like the problem with hiring Doc is you don't just, you don't convince Doc to, to come and say, and we'll reevaluate in April. Let's see how you do. You're here for half a season. That's disrespectful. Doc Rivers hangs up the phone on that, right? He should, it's not he the should, type of job a, security. He can be like, I have a lucrative as all heck deal with the worldwide leader in sports to call NBA yeah. games. I'm going to get to call the finals. Give me like, which he could probably go back to at some point in theory, especially if like. Yeah, but know, that's like, just that stuff doesn't happen. I, I no, was almost just it throwing it out there as like. Yeah. Obviously, that's not an option, but it would be right. the best thing for Milwaukee, right? If they could just yeah. get a little bit of a feeling out process, almost treat Doc like an interim, but that's not an option. The reason that I think it could work is is because of Damon Giannis. I think that the times we've seen it not be great with Doc, I would say the most high-profile failures, so to speak, you're talking... The 
series where Josh Smith killed you, where he was coaching the Clippers against the Rockets and James Harden is on the bench and they lose, right? That was, I don't know. I, I you know, I was a teenager. I'm not going to pretend like I know what happened there. Bad. The bubble where we forget the Clippers were just fully healthy and, and just didn't have anything. Extenuating circumstances, to say the least. I'm not giving him a break there, but whatever. The Hawks series in 2021. Ben Simmons has literally never recovered from that. And I guess you could say last year. But again, that's James Harden. And and even Joel Embiid didn't step up when he needed to. I I don't really pin that on coaching, even though it's cute to bring up the two blown 3-2 lead thing. So... He has gotten, when he has teams that fit and teams that have star talent that he can connect with, a la the big three in Boston once upon a time, he tends to to get the most out of those groups. And so I think Damon Giannis are the types of people that I could see it working with. But you're still talking about, you know, some of the problems where Doc, he he doesn't always love to stagger guys and he puts these all bench lineups out there and they are a top heavy team. He seems to be the guy that gets the most out of the developmental guys kind of or the stars. So what is what would this mean for Bochamp and Jackson in a very compressed, pressurized environment now? Do they even play or is it just we're riding the vets and I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm making my money here. I'm going to try to win. Those would be questions that I would have for sure. I think those are fair, and I and I think too to your point. I think the Giannis Dame part of this has to be the most important part of this. I you know they, we haven't seen this exactly. Would be shocked if if they weren't consulted in this and saying what do you who do you guys want? Who are you interested in? Who who can we bring into that would make you happy at this moment in time? You and know, then and maybe I, take I, it into consideration a little less than you did the last time. <laughs> Ask. And then maybe write it down on a note and kind of like put it on your desk and, you know, refer to it periodically, but don't uh, maybe have it be the end all be all. Yeah. Unless you're, unless they're, they're probably also just being like, Hey, uh, we would maybe like Doc Rivers. Can you, can we do that? I mean, if they say Mark Jackson, I'm absolutely like, I'm like losing that napkin and being like, well, guys, you're, I'm going through a tunnel. Um, Can I, can I call you back in a couple minutes? And you just be like, you just forget it ever happened. But doc, I like you, you kind of, take it a little more seriously like in that sense if i'm going to frame it that way brennan the fact that they're going doc and not mark jackson as like the veteran coach is is that's at least a win for the bucks i would say like they could have done worse mark jackson's not coaching in the nba again okay i i agree but i'm saying like until like it's always going to be that name that someone's like on twitter arguing like i'm surprised we haven't heard jeff van gundy's name if i'm being honest I don't think he's ever coaching the NBA again, just because, like, I think... For different reasons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all, and he, he's just also, like, been... Like, Doc, at the very least, was a coach last season. Yeah. If you go to Van Gundy, right, he hasn't been an NBA coach in how long? Like, 15 years. It's, yeah. Yeah, like, I, I'm sorry. Like, that, like knows more about basketball than, than I will ever know. That is, like, I think a little too much time away for me to feel comfortable about it. Doc, at least, yeah. you know, was a, has been in coaching regularly for like decades at this point. The last thing I would say here is more short term, assuming it is Doc, even if he comes in soon and flies out from L.A. to meet them wherever they are right now on their schedule, I would say they're in for 
probably a couple of bad losses here and there, and they can't really afford that. You know, I, I don't think it's the the worst thing in the world for them to fall behind Philly, for instance, but Cleveland is knocking on the door. The Heat just got Terry Rozier, which we're about to talk about. The Pacers just got Siakam. The Bucks don't have such a big cushion that they can afford some growing pains. So, you know, let's just assume it's Doc, but whoever it is, it's not just about hitting the ground running to try to win a championship this spring. It's also like you really can't lose ground here unless you want to make it an even harder spot for yourself. The Bucks have been saving Adrian Griffin's ass all season because they're the best clutch team in the NBA. They have like a plus 25 net rating. Can't count on that forever. So whoever comes in needs to win and win right away. Uh, fill in the blank, Brandon. We'll move on to our last topic of the day, the Terry Rozier trade. They are the blank team you would expect to get out of these so like first second third fourth fifth if you're picking who's getting out of these where are they right now post this firing as who you'd expect to get out of the eastern conference the crazy thing is i probably would still say second same and i don't i i feel a little queasy about it i get a little stressed out thinking about that because i'm like could it be philly is there like is the are the heat just really the second answer always until proven wrong but here's but. the thing, to your point earlier, part of why you have to make this move and part of why, you know, not to make it always about the teams we cover, but the Suns are in a little bit of a similar situation. They are all in for this season. And why I entertained Frank Vogel getting fired there or the Lakers point to your to your point, why Darvin Ham didn't get fired last year is because they did have trades. Why the Suns and the Bucks would seriously contemplate firing their coaches in a season where they're also all in is they don't have trades. So that's a probably point against them, even if you believe in a coaching change helping here, maybe down the line is Philly could get better. Cleveland could even get better. The Knicks, Heat, and Pacers have already all made trades. That's, that's working against them. They, they might have one tiny move to make to solidify some, some bench help, but this is their team. Amen to that. All right, before we get into Terry Rogier to the Miami Heat, want to tell you about our friends at Homage. Homage is the ultra-comfortable specialty apparel company with NBA and WNBA licenses. They use vintage-inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. Use the link below to make your purchase and support the Just Basketball Show. Brendan, the Miami Heat have made a deal, a move that I think I'm going to speak for us. I'm going to speak for you here. I think I we this is a, a trade... That gets our stamp of approval to some degree in this deal. They trade Kyle Lowry in a protected 2027 first. I have not. It's a lottery. I have not. It is. It is lottery protected in 2027, then unprotected in 2028, according to the story that I'm looking yes. at right now. This is a pretty low cost, I think, for Rogier. All things considered, yes, you're giving up a first. Yes, you could say. You know, is does that keep you out of an all-in offer for a star player come the summer? Well, number one, the Heat could have done that for Dame last summer and chose not to. Who's to say they aren't just going to do that again? And secondly, I think Rozier is going to make them better right now. It's a cold end for Lowry and his run in Miami, certainly. But this team is now better for getting Terry Rozier. He's going to be awesome there. And, you know, we'll see where they end up in the standings. But I just, once again, do not want anything to do with the Miami Heat when it comes to the playoffs. I, I want I wanted to be as far away from them as, as I possibly can if I'm another team in the East. So, I, I look at it 
from, I guess, three different standpoints as far as if it'll work. But first, it is it is quite a bit to give up. I mean, if that pick ends up being, you know, unprotected in 2028, and let's just say it's like 16th, just straight up, you know, right down the middle, basically, that's a pretty, it's a pretty good pick. And I'm not optimistic the Hornets can get something for Lowry at the deadline. I don't really know who's trading for, for him at this point, but, you know, the 16th pick for a guy that they were completely ready to move on from is, is pretty good. And, and for Miami, it's a pretty big bet that they'll improve a lot and, and be good in 2028, I guess, too. But the three things I would look at from a fit standpoint, defensively, can he rediscover his Boston form? You know, he's small, but can he at least guard, you know, guards solidly? Miami covers up for a lot with the way that they scheme, the amount of zone they play, and bam. So he's in a great environment, but that's obviously question number one because he's been on a bad team for a while and those habits have formed. The second thing to me would be how do he and, and Tyler Hero fit? Miami only had a 114 offensive rating with both Hero and Lowry on across the past two seasons. That's not, that's really not great. It's not much. Heroes fit and raising of their ceiling has been, you know, obviously debated a lot. They made the finals without him. Can Rogier make him better? Does Rogier make him more expendable? How does that all map out? I think is, is an open question. I think he's somewhat of a similar player to Gabe Vincent Rogier is in terms of a guy who can take pull-up threes and be on or off the ball. And I think he's better than, than Vincent offensively, but we've seen that work before. We've seen that work without Hero and, and with. So that's a that's a question to me. And then the last one would just be his passing. And Nikias Duncan had a good thread on this earlier today, which um, I'm sure people have seen. But... Uh, it's not so much Rogier specifically. It's just that's kind of the one thing offensively that Lowry was really doing for this team at this point was whether it's obviously the, the head-to-head passes that he's known for or just his ability to kind of get them get them going, get get a slight advantage going downhill and, and start the churn of the offense, enter the ball to the right place and space correctly off of that, whatever, the basics of being a point guard. Rogier's not really that type of player, so what does that do to change their offense? I think would be another open question, but I think they just need a juice. They're like 21st in offense right now, and so regardless of how all that stuff works, I think he just gives them another creator that they really, really needed. But which one of those stands out to you, or, or what are you looking at from a fit standpoint? I think it's the last one. I think it's just he gives them another creator they needed. This is exactly the kind of guy that I think is going to amplify them. The the hero fit, I think, will be interesting for them to navigate. I think it just adds more possible ammunition in the summer that maybe hero is someone they, they should move and, and try to find a different kind of energy with or that he isn't going to matter for them in the playoffs. I think that's entirely possible. But Rogier's having like a because he plays for the Hornets, a low-key underrated, very, very good season. He's at 53% on twos, which would be a career best. He's shooting nearly 36% from three on nearly eight attempts a game. He's capable of of putting up big numbers. He's capable of being a solid enough, maybe not a lead lead creator, but you know he's averaging a career best 6.6 assists this year versus 2.1 turnovers. He's having 
just a great year. And I think you put him in the system where he's playing with Jimmy Butler and within the Eric Spolster system, and they have Bam Adebayo doing stuff and all these different guys. I think he's just going to fit in and also give them some energy that they're missing. Give them a feel an, another guy who's absolutely fearless, who's going to be up for these moments. But and there's certain guys that I think I would look at a little bit and say, okay, are we sure that they're going to fit in with the Heat system and culture? Like, I think that there's reason to look at certain guys and be skeptical. I have no concerns about that with what Rozier is and how he plays and what he seems to to be about, right? Like, I just, sure, will it be like an acclimation process to some degree? Yes, there always is. And, you know, Jimmy's in and out of the lineup and, and how fast you can build the camaraderie with all their best guys will be a challenge for them, for sure. But I just don't think Rogier's going to like go in and be overwhelmed by this environment. I think he's going to go in and thrive even more as a result of it. That would make me super optimistic if I'm the Miami Brain Trust. Yeah, a few other reasons to be optimistic, I would say, are Charlotte plays slow also. I think that's one of the things that can be a little bit of a shell shock to teams, uh, to players coming onto this Miami team is... If you're a guy who wants to get out and kind of spread your wings and just control a few run-out possessions or semi-transition, and that's kind of how you get comfortable, how you get yours, obviously Miami's defense creates those opportunities, but they're not a run-and-gun team. They're a very structured team, and so Charlotte might not be structured, but they are slow. I think that's good. And then the other part is he was a very good off-screen scorer in Boston. He didn't have to do it in Charlotte because he had the ball so much and they, again, lacked structure. But it actually did kind of surprise me. When they had Mason Plumley. They, they did run a lot of dribble handoff stuff, so I don't know why Rogier didn't excel there. But he did, in, he did with the Celtics. And so I think that's something that you could really see him thrive again in with Bam and whoever else it is, Hawkes. And, and that, that's a lot of how the Heat like to run offense. And that would mitigate the, well, what do we do without Lowry's passing is just re- rely on that stuff even more. Obviously, come playoff time, the ball will be in Jimmy's hands more and more. But those would be two, I think, places I would see them leaning into what he's been good at before, currently good at right now. And yeah, I think to your point, right? Like you catch a guy in the middle of a, of a career best season, you'd be dumb not to do a little bit more of what he's great at too. So I think there will just be games where, where he cooks and he's firing pull up threes and they're comfortable with that and, and kind of let him do that and rest some guys and maybe hero and, and Robinson play a little less those nights, but that's why you acquire a guy like this. That's why you trade a first round pick for somebody as you believe in them. So you got to do what they're good at too. Last thing we'll, we'll say about him, Brennan is I, I don't really care too much about them as far as star player hunting. Like I, I think if they're going to do it, they're going to find a way to do it anyway. That's just usually how this works. I get kind of wondering if incremental upgrades are always worth the first, but I, I don't really think they, they're losing a lot here as far as future trade assets to, to get this over the line and maybe make a big deal in the summer. Do you have any strong thoughts about that side of this? Well, Rogier's under contract for a while too, right? So it salary. isn't necessarily it salary, and it's also it's not like a rental. Right. So you're you're trading for this guy to ideally, like if if he continues to be impactful into his thirties, like now that's that's a guard. That's a starting guard for you for for the rest of his contract. So 
um, I think that makes it extra worthwhile. I think that they're, I don't know. I mean, I, I hate to like give them slack. I think that there's various moves that they could have or should have made in the past, but in the, in the right now, like I don't think that there's anything wrong with treating this moment in time after what we saw Butler do, especially in the first two rounds last year as the remainder of the Jimmy window and treat him as your best player and rely on him to be capable and find ways to support around that rather than supplanting him or dramatically overhauling what your team identity is. So I wouldn't be surprised if they made another small move before the deadline this year and just ran back a better version of last year's roster rather than saying, okay, now we have our, our next foundational star and we're going to be great for the next 10 years. And how are him and Jimmy going to fit? It's sort of just like, no, this is still Jimmy and bam. And, and how do we make it better around that? And I think that's kind of going to be their approach, at least for the remainder of this season. Well said last bit of news, slight breaking WNBA news as reported by uh, Jackie Powell, who wrote to the next and in a bunch of other places, she has reported that Jonquil Jones's intention is to be back with New York after receiving quote significant interest end quote across the league, according to Jones's agent. Number one, I want to say Jackie does a great job. Number two, love that the agents in the WNBA don't seem to need sources to just like say what's going on. Kind of just respect, just like being on the record a little bit more. That's kind of cool to me. Like just. Yeah, in this one case, maybe I think most WNBA people are are very prickly and paranoid and the league needs much more coverage than they're willing to give it. But uh, shout out to Christina Williams. She also had this over from uh, SNY and Mm -hmm. Girls Talk Sports TV. She they pretty much had this at the same time. So I'm sure it was, you know, coming probably accurate and coming from uh, conversations between her and and the Liberty. Yeah, I think obviously it's great. We talked about them the other day and. They needed her, and we kind of said, you know, do whatever you possibly need to do. The fact that Jones did seem to at least hear out some other teams makes me think that the Liberty made a pretty strong push, and, and maybe there's some m- more to come about what exactly those conversations were, and is it role? Is it, hey, go get this other player? Is it, you know, who knows? But super team number two back in place, I guess. Look, the the thing for them that I think matters more than anything here is just the fact that they're going to get a chance to actually run this back. That was one of our big five WNBA questions. What happens with John Quill Jones? What does it mean if she does leave? Well, she's not. And yes, do we think the Liberty have a lot of ground to make up vis-a-vis the Aces to be a real title contender? Yes, but this is step one in them having a chance to uh, keep the Aces away from a, a three-peat next summer, in the next fall, excuse me, so... It's a win for the Liberty at the very least. All right, we're going to end there. That's been the Just Basketball Show for January 24th. We'll be back on Monday. NBA contenders check in time. We're going to look at real contenders, wannabe contenders. We need some answers on. Pick up the phone. Teams that are bad. Yes, we will talk about one of the very worst teams in the league. It might be the Hornets, in fact who are making some moves and could make some more, but we'll talk to you then. Please subscribe to our TikTok page, our YouTube channel, our Instagram, all of that and more. Give us a follow, like, and review the show. Enjoy the hoops. We'll talk to you next week.